Hello, thanks for listening to a serious series of utmost importance, the series. This is part two of our Radiohead uh, series. This is our second Radiohead podcast. In this episode, we're going to focus primarily on the work of Radiohead's second drummer, Clive Deemer. <laughs> no. Instead, today we're going to be talking about later Radiohead. In our first part, we discuss their first six albums, Pablo Honey, The Bends, OK Computer, Kid A, Amnesiac, and Hail to the Thief. And in this part, we're going to talk about the solo careers of the members and the later albums. So In Rainbows, King of Limbs, and A Moon-Shaped Pool. As always, I'm your host, Neil. I'm your host, Tom. Let's do it. Right after Hail to the Thief they all started doing some solo stuff. And um, I think the first one was Johnny Greenwood in 2003. Uh, and we'll get to that in a sec. But the first big one, I think, was Tom York with The Eraser. Is that correct? Yeah, that was 2006. So I guess it, there was a pretty big gap, um, which makes sense. I mean, if he was doing solo stuff, you know, I guess it takes some time to do that. Yeah. So in prepping for this episode, I, you know, started trying to uh, see what Johnny Greenwood had been up to. And he had done a lot of interesting things. So before this episode, I thought Tom York was the most interesting. Now I think Johnny Greenwood is. Hmm. In 2003, he started doing film scores. Yeah. And so he scored um, this documentary called Body Song by Simon Pummel. Mm -hmm. So have you heard of this? No. This is a documentary about a human life from conception to death. And Whoa. it uses all found footage from the last 100 years. So I guess made in 2003. So from 1903 to 2003. Mm -hmm. um, and I was surprised to find that there were film cameras in 1903, but apparently yeah. there were. Wow. So it's all scored to this music by Johnny Greenwood. Um, you know, just images of things like the sperm, then pregnant bellies, then childbirth. Um, there's, there's lots of stuff about war and famine and disease. And the entire movie is made by Johnny Greenwood's score. Oh, wow. Cause it's, there's no narration or anything. It's just these images and this music. So the music has to carry the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really impressive thing to do for your first solo project. Yeah. Um, and the music reflects what's going on on the screen. You know, there's uh, there's some light drumming during the pregnancy. And then right as the baby's head pops out, there's just this, like, heavy, scary violin music. Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, as an adult, there's, like, sort of sexy-ish music involving lots of trumpets, the horns. <laughs> of course, the horns again. <laughs> um, and... A lot of sad violins during the war and death stuff, during the A-bomb. Um, and later on in the course of the human life, the music starts getting very Radiohead-esque. It, mm. it was weird, electronic, and dreamy. Um, there, there was just footage of various weddings, and the music over that reminded me a lot of uh, the stuff in King of Limbs, actually, even though this is 2003, right. and that was 2011. So all, all these trends were in were already sort of being thought about i think by johnny greenwood oh. as far as the music going trippy that's very i didn't know he was scoring stuff all the way back in 2003 that's crazy exactly yeah i would think it's i'd say overall the album body song it's on his uh, spotify page it's definitely worth checking out okay 
the film itself, I'm not sure if I would recommend, but <laughs> it seems like it feels it feels like something you would see in a modern art museum, and I'm not sure if yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of boring after about 30 minutes, but the music it definitely Holds um up. persists. Okay. And what actually happened with this was Paul Thomas Anderson, the director, saw Body Song playing at this festival, and was like, "Wow, this is great music!" And from then on. He's hired Johnny Greenwood to score all of his movies. That's awesome. So yeah, he did "There Will Be Blood" in 2007. Mm-hmm. Pretty freaking awesome. Great movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie since 2007. But what I remember uh, vividly about the movie um, is during the really intense scenes, the music. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it yeah really brought it like it amplified the emotion on the screen yeah absolutely and it was scary music i remember you know when um god what's the actor's name in there will daniel be blood? day lewis yeah when daniel day lewis is you know sort of going mad and doing yeah. his famous i drink your milkshake speech yeah the music is what makes that stick in my mind all these <laughs> years later yeah him and paul thomas anderson since there will be blood uh have done everything together and actually a fun fact about the There Will Be Blood score, it was ineligible for an Oscar for Best Score because it used some songs from Body Song. Really? Yeah. That's interesting that that's that you can't do that. But it makes sense. And it was also it, kind of bad that you probably should have won. Yeah, it, I think it might have. He's done some work for other directors. Uh, Lynn Ramsey, who directed We Need to Talk About Kevin and You Were Never Really Here. Huh. And um, also he scored the film adaptation of the Murakami book, Norwegian Wood. Right. So he's a really, really prolific um, film score guy. Yeah, I mean, like, just in his own right, apart from his Radiohead career, he's pretty successful. Absolutely. Um, in that line of work. He could he could be the next Hans Zimmer or yeah. uh, whoever the, the guy other is guy. The, the Game of Thrones themes. I think the most interesting Johnny Greenwood project and also, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson project, is this thing called uh, Janoon. Yeah, I was just looking at this. I didn't know Paul Thomas Anderson was involved as well. Yeah, so Johnny Greenwood um, was with uh, with this Israeli composer uh, called, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but uh, Shai Ben Sur, and the Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich. Mm-hmm. What they did was they went to India to this fort and they got this Indian orchestra, essentially, and they all recorded this music together. And Paul Thomas Anderson came and filmed a documentary about it. Wow. The Indian ensemble was called the Rajasthan Express. This was all recorded in 2015. Um, the Israeli guy, Shai Ben Sur, he lived in India for a decade and Johnny Greenwood reached out to him, actually, because he was a big fan of his music. And they came together and did this project. Um, the documentary is okay. Mm-hmm. It's another thing where it's not entirely just the music. They do intersperse it with clips of um, the Indian band members sort of talking mm-hmm. about you know how they got involved in music. But nowhere in the movie do they explain what the project is. Interesting. They have some text at the beginning, but no one is really talking about why they did this. The focus isn't on Johnny Greenwood or the Israeli producer or Nigel Godrich. The focus is on the Indian musicians, cool. which is interesting. Um, 
it's interesting because no one, I think, would be watching the documentary without already knowing the background, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I think as a documentary, it fails because they don't really talk more about the project itself. Right. Like, it probably makes sense, like, for people who go to see the movie in theaters. But, I mean, 10 years down the road, it's like, yeah, it doesn't really, you don't know the context of it. Exactly. It is really interesting, though, and I think the music is really, really good. Um, and I would recommend to whoever's listening to this to check it out. It's on Spotify, just J-U-N-U-N. It works. The music really, really works. It sounds um, it sounds like Radiohead, but also sounds like traditional Indian music, which is the... That's pretty cool. It's the best way I could describe it. And this, um, the documentary... Is worth checking out if you're bored, but I think just the album itself speaks pretty well on its own. Apparently, the band opened for Radiohead on their Moon Shape Pool tour. I'm really interested to see how. Uh, I'm really interested to go find some clips about that because yeah. it's a ton of people in the Rajasthan Express. And I'm looking I at don't... the album cover. There's, there's <laughs> three rows of guys. Yeah, they all look pretty angry too. <laughs> <laughs> They all they all come across really really uh, nice in the in the documentary. They're all like really happy. Yeah. Um, one so one interesting thing um, during the end credits of this, they say Greenwood Johnny Greenwood on guitar and on Andes Martinot. And I didn't know what the Andes Martinot was. Do you? No. So I looked this up, and apparently it's an old school synthesizer type thing. Oh. It was invented in 1928, and it can be played with a keyboard or by moving a ring along a wire, and oh. the name the name means musical waves. And Johnny Greenwood oh. is one of the modern people who is credited with making it popular, and it's in Radiohead songs, it's in the National Anthem, How to Disappear Completely, some others, um, but he introduced it to these modern musicians, and so it's in some Daft Punk songs, and Damon Albarn also used it. Is it... Is it the thing that goes like? I think it might it be. Yeah, like? I think it might be. I'm not oh. exactly sure what it sounds like yet. But so he's a really, really talented musician. I would say Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, multi, multi instrumentalist. Yeah. Um, he also did this residency at the BBC Concert Orchestra and made a bunch of classical music. Is he classically trained? I'm not entirely sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Huh. Yeah, he seems like one of the. He seems like. I mean, he seems like he would be for sure. Yeah. Um, Colin Greenwood. Uh, he's contributed to a lot of the solo work of the other members. Uh, he was on Body Song, for example, but he doesn't have his own solo stuff. I think, mm -hmm. which I guess makes sense. You wouldn't really expect the bassist to have right. a prolific solo career, would you? I'm trying to think of any that have ever. <laughs> <laughs> um there's gotta be one oh, if i think of probably anything. i mean okay actually yeah sting who sting <laughs> here's the bass player and the police all right all right i'll give you that one <laughs> um but colin greenwood is apparently a fairly successful amateur photographer of course they all have like they're all great at like four different things <laughs> i it's interesting though if he wasn't famous for being in Radiohead, do you think that his photography would take off? I don't know. I mean, maybe Radiohead inspired him to be a great photographer. 
It's like, if Jim Carrey wasn't already a famous actor, would anyone be talking about the paintings of Jim Carrey? Or if um, Jeff Goldblum wasn't, <laughs> you know, Jeff Goldblum, would anyone care that Jeff Goldblum made a jazz music album last year? Definitely not. <laughs> That's a fair point. How many amateur photographers are there out there? <laughs> um, Philip Selway, the drummer, I don't think he's really done anything on his own. Uh, Ed O'Brien founded the Featured Artists Coalition, which I have no idea what that is, but it sounds very fancy. I haven't founded anything, so he's got one up on me. <laughs> um, he In 2017, he announced that he was coming out with a solo album, but it's sort of this vaporware that hasn't been released yet. Uh, I mean, that'd be, free, that'd be awesome if it ended up being like the best solo album that, of any Radiohead guy. He was the secret <laughs> to their success. And then I think we've touched a little bit on all of their solo stuff. Should we just finish talking about Tom York's solo career and then go back to the... Yeah. Uh, did you ever listen to The Eraser fully? I never... I, believe it or not, I never totally got into it. Um, I, it's like full-on electronic, right? Like it's, it's like it is, it is. Which, yeah, I don't know. I never got super into that. I think the album cover is awesome. Like, it's so cool. I really like it a lot. What? Oh, yeah. What is the album cover? It's like a guy. I'm looking at in, it, and I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. like trying to stop. This is my interpretation. Trying to stop all these waves or something coming at him. <laughs> Actually, here it says, it's inspired by the legend of King Canute failing to command the ocean. Who the hell is King Canute? We all know who King Canute is. Oh, yes, yes. Um, the song that I loved on this album was Black Swan. Hmm. Is that uh, the most popular one on this? I don't know if, I don't know if it's the most popular. Um, I think The Eraser is also decently mm -hmm. popular. But Black Swan is... Um, when I heard Tom York was doing solo stuff... And I listened to Black Swan. I was like, "I this is a great, great solo song," and I totally understood why it wasn't part of Radiohead. Right? Because at the time, it was more experimental than Radiohead right. was. I think because this was what was it, two thousand six? They hadn't done their transition to you know King of Limbs style electronic yeah. yet. They also have a, the, he also had a song on this album, track six called "Atoms for Peace." Ah. Came back to that one later. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I think I really want to say about uh, The Eraser as far as the album goes. So what do you want to say about Atoms for Peace? Um, Atoms for Peace is an interesting project. I think it was founded in 2009. They debuted on October 2nd, 2009. Um, Tom York is in it. Nigel Godrich is in it. Flea is in it. I remember that. <laughs> Um, he's a good he's, bass player. Yeah. Um, and their first performance, they played all of York's um, album, The Eraser, and oh, wow. they and they did some other material, which ended up being part of the Adams for Peace album. Uh -huh. They did a tour in 2010, uh, and they named themselves after this Adams for Peace track on The Eraser, but that itself was <laughs> named after a speech by Eisenhower. It's a it's a great name. I mean, it's just a great name in general, but I think it's a Absolutely. fantastic <laughs> name. 
It's better. It's um, a better band name than Radiohead. <laughs> if they, if Tom York could go back in time, I'm sure that he would call his band Adams for Peace yeah. instead of On a Friday or Radiohead. Yeah. Um, the album by Adams for Peace uh, came out in 2013. It's called Amok. Did you listen uh-huh. to this? Not really. I mean, I heard like a few of the songs on like Sirius XM. Yeah radio but i never got fully into the album itself yeah I, I think it sort of fell into the trap of a lot of super groups which is you know everyone is so accomplished on their own that i'm sure when they all come together they think you know what we're gonna make it's gonna be gold everyone's gonna love yeah. it and i'm sure there were people who loved it just because it was tom york and flea um but i thought it was i thought it was fine i don't dislike the album by any means but it's not great. Yeah. I mean, I think with a lot of super groups, they, the band members come together and they're all very accomplished and they're like, let's just jam. And yeah. they don't put as much time and effort into it. And they also don't have like the working relationship of like a, your normal band of how to produce like a really good album. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that's, you know, it is what it is, and like it probably was like a fun tour, and yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I the songs that I did like on this, I liked Default, um, mm-hmm. I liked Amuck, and I think I liked Judge Jury and Executioner. They're a little the 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 songs to me are a little more angry than even Electronic Radiohead. Oh. They're they're sort of angry, um, not raw, because I mean, how could anyone? in this super group be described as raw at this point. Roughly. Nah. nah. <laughs> but it was an interesting project and I would definitely, you know, if they ever decide to make an album number two, I'd be, I'd be into it. I'd listen to it. Yeah. Funky. So the, uh, the one fun fact about this is the members bonded over a shared love of Afrobeat, including Bella Cootie. Ah, which is, I mean, I wonder if that's actually how they started it. They're like, hey, man, I really love Fella Cootie. Dude, I do too. We should make a band named after this Dwight D. Eisenhower speech. Yeah, that'll really honor Fella Cootie's spirit. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Tom York has two other things. But before we do that, I was completely wrong about Philip Selway. He's done some stuff. He's done some stuff. He's done, um, he's done some backing vocals on Radiohead songs. First of all, um, he does some drum machine stuff, not just drum stuff. The second drummer that you were talking about earlier is uh, Clive Deemer. Yeah, of course, Clyde. Um, but outside of Radiohead, <laughs> oh, you're gonna love this. Selway appeared in the movie Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire as a member of the band The Weird Sisters, along with Radiohead bandmate Johnny Greenwood and pulp frontman Jarvis Cocker. No way. In which movie? In which one? The Goblet of Fire. Whoa. Uh, yeah. That's insane. I know. I didn't know Johnny Greenwood was in it either. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a picture of him now. Um, other. Than- oh, yeah, there he is. Yeah. So, so he's technically part of the band, the Weird Sisters, which is a Harry <laughs> Potter band. Uh, 
They played at the Johnny Greenwood wears black lipstick in it. <laughs> they played at the Yule Ball. And they only got the gig because the producers of Harry Potter wanted Franz Ferdinand, and Franz Ferdinand said no. So the Radiohead was the backup. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a weird band to have uh, Yule <laughs> Although, you know, Harry Potter is supposed to take place in the 90s, so it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Are you implying that J.K. Rowling thought Radiohead were wizards? That's exactly what I'm implying. I'm glad you implied it. <laughs> um, By the way, did, did you know that uh, Tom, much of Tom York's music, solo music, as well as Adams for Peace, falls under the genre of IDM? What's IDM? You know what IDM stands for? No. Intelligent dance music. Are you fucking kidding? It's it's <laughs> God. it's for people who like electronic music, but who also want something that stimulates their mind. You know, it's hard. It's hard because I try to get people to listen to Radiohead and Tom York, and they're like, "Ugh, it's so pretentious." And I'm like, "No, no, trust me. It's just about the music." And then they describe themselves as IDM, and all that goodwill goes out the window. It also includes bands such as Aphex Twin and Boards of Canada, which are also very pretentious. All right, Tom York is not no Tom York is not the same genre as Aphex Twin. I refuse <laughs> to allow that. They're both intelligent, intelligent. <laughs> no, I, I just I deny this. Um, Selway, besides the Weird Sisters, he's part of the Seven Worlds Collide Project, um, uh, who've released a couple of albums. Uh, he's done some solo albums. Um, in 2010, he released Familial, and in 2014, he released Weatherhouse, and he also does some film scores. So, he's also very prolific. Jeez. You guys do so much. It's it's crazy that they're going to be more accomplished in whatever they do than you or me will ever be in whatever we try. I mean, the second drummer for Radiohead will be more accomplished <laughs> than either of us combined. Clive! <laughs> um, okay, so Tom, Tom York finishing up his solo stuff. He had Tomorrow's Modern Boxes in 2014, but in between that, he actually had a bunch of singles um, one of them was called Feeling Pulled Apart by Horses, all one word. And that's my second Whoa. favorite Tom York song. Whoa. And it's very, very ambient music. Not a great song, I think, but I just like it. Uh, yeah. It's just like beats. It's a great name. You know? And then Tom York sort of whispers like, Feeling pulled apart by horses. And that's the song. Which is like basically every song. And it's... <laughs> I don't think I did it justice, but you should definitely check that out. All right. The song alone makes me want to check it out. I mean, the song name alone. He did Tomorrow's Modern Boxes in 2014 then. Um, and that was after feeling pulled apart by horses. And yeah. I honestly don't think there was anything special about this album. I didn't even know it existed. So I, remember- I would check it out. <laughs> I remember hearing that it came out. And I think I tried to listen to Brain in a Bottle, and it was fine. Um, it's one of those things where it's totally serviceable music, but it's just nothing that demanded to be listened to, I think. Right. Um, and then since then, he hasn't done any solo stuff until l- late in 2018. Mm-hmm. 
and this is when he did the soundtrack for the movie Suspiria. Right. And you said you didn't watch Suspiria, right? No. I, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I initially didn't want to either, and then I tried to force myself um, for this episode. <laughs> I had heard it was very polarizing, lots of body horror. Yeah. And I was surprised that this is the thing Tom York decided to start film scoring with. I mean, Suspiria, the original movie, is like, it's considered like a fairly, I I guess, influential, I don't know if influential, but a pretty big piece of film history for like extreme film buffs. Okay. So like a remake of it, I mean, I could see how he would be into it. Yeah, I was watching this interview with Tom York about the soundtrack, and apparently this director of the Suspiria remake... um, Luca, God, how do you say his last name? Let's say Guadagnino. Guadagnino wanted him for the score, and he didn't want anyone else, so he kept basically bothering Tom York for like a year until uh, he agreed to do it. Oh, wow. And uh, he said in the end what made him agree to score the film is that the script was sort of melancholy and felt... Uh, this is a quote, like a different form of darkness than other mo- than other horror movies. Oof. Which sounds, doesn't that sound like a totally uh, Tom York thing to say and and eventually do? Yeah. So it kind of makes me sad because I tried to watch the movie and I couldn't finish it. I got like an hour and a half in. Um, so I don't think I'll ever fully experience the score how it was intended. No. Yeah. What made me stop watching the movie wasn't actually anything related to the horror it was just boring it was really slow it wasn't even necessarily scary the body horror scene that i saw involved this choreographed ballet dance and the dancer is doing it the protagonist and another dancer is trapped in another room and is like being torn apart internally with each movement that the protagonist is dancing uh, and she ends up like peeing herself, and then a bunch of witches come in and put hooks into her after her like limbs have like involuted on themselves. It's weird. It's really weird. Um, but honestly, it's not like weirder than things you've seen in other horror movies. That being said, I read some of what happens in the rest of the movie, and it sounds like it might get like really weird and really gory. One of Tilda Swinton's three characters. Something happens. She gets, like, almost decapitated, but not, like, fully decapitated. I don't know. Um, So, I mean, I'm glad I stopped watching anyways for that reason, but... Yeah, the pacing of the movie is just so slow. Um, I tried to stick with it, and but just because of that, I don't think it's worth it. So, I mean, even if you like Tom York, I don't think it's worth it. So I'm never going to experience it, the, the score, the way it was intended. No. No. That's fine. You could... You can always go back to OK Computer. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I've listened to a bunch of the score itself on Spotify, and surprisingly, it almost felt like another solo album. He actually sings in a bunch of the songs. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, currently, his most popular track on Spotify is one of the songs from this album called Suspirium. Yeah, I saw that. It's actually a really good Tom York song. It's definitely worth checking out. They play it over the opening credits of the movie. So if you can, like, separate that from the body graphic 
horror, then it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, he said he liked getting outside of his comfort zone, that it was like it made him feel good that it was he could do another type of music besides, you know, just Radiohead or like traditional music. So I think he seems to be happy with it. And, you know, I think that in itself makes it worth checking out if he considers yeah. it part of his canon. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. You know, usually you kind of skip over soundtrack stuff, but... Except for Daft Punk with Tron Legacy. Of course, of course. Every once in a while it holds up. I um, totally don't skip over that. <laughs> um, and so coming back from the solo stuff back to Radiohead, um, we went from Hail to the Thief in 2003 yep. to In Rainbows in 2007. Yeah. I think that's I think this is one of their best albums for sure. Um yeah. And the interesting part about it or the innovative part was uh they released it on their website and it was, you know, told fans like hey, you can pay as much as you want yeah. uh for this album and you can you can pay 0 dollars if you want. And this is the first time I remember like people actually talking about Radiohead. Because this was pretty big news, like I would say beyond even the music industry, it was just like an interesting thing that they decided to do. Um, I still remember like being in cross country practice in high school, and like some this guy was like a really big Radiohead fan, <laughs> but he was also a like sixteen year old kid with no money, and he was like, "I love Radiohead, but I'm not paying shit for this album. This is awesome. It's gonna download it for free." I think I also downloaded it for free. I mean, today I'd probably give like five dollars. I agree, but you know, maybe, maybe was that part of their intention? You know, for uh, for kids who are widely known to not be prolific spenders, <laughs> to get them to start listening to Radiohead. Yeah, and like I mean, at the time, uh, torrenting was huge, and like LimeWire and stuff. Yeah. Like, it was, I mean, it's still big, but I feel like that was when it first became big. And people were like, this is a huge problem. People are pirating. Well, not the first time. That was with like Napster and stuff. But, yeah. but it was still a big issue. Yeah, time. definitely. I'm not sure what I would say my favorite Radiohead album is, but this is definitely in contention. Every song on this is amazing. Yeah. 15 Step. Yeah. Um, Body Snatchers, Nude, <laughs> Weird Weird Fishes. Love it. That's my jam. My favorite one. Just Tom York singing in falsetto. Weird yeah. fishes. <laughs> um, House uh, of Cards, Jigsaw Falling Into Place. Everything is just yeah. beautiful. Um, do you know? Do you know about uh, how this album apparently like lines up with OK Computer? No. How does it? There's like some Radiohead fan theory that like you can. You can like mix them together, like you can intersplice, you know, one song from OK Computer, then In Rainbows together, one after another, and it like forms like a really great playlist. Wow. Plus, apparently, like they both have the same number of characters in their title <laughs> in the same order, like two characters, space, and then whatever number. There's there's something. That so it's like a like a music smoothie playlist. Yeah, but I mean, apparently they're like, "Oh, Radiohead totally intended this." Like that—that's the claim. That's that's smart. 
I'm definitely going to try I that don't out. Believe. Did you know that? Oh wait, never mind. What? I was going to say, you know, it's only 26 minutes, but that's definitely not true. <laughs> um, it's in Rainbow's Disc Two. Yeah, so I didn't know about In Rainbow's Disc Two until today. I also didn't know. It was released in 2009. So it was part of the initial release in 2007 as a bonus disc, but then it was released for purchase on its own in 2009 through Radiohead's website. But it wasn't until 2016 that it was available for streaming. And I just, I just never came across it, but it's a really, really good album also. Ooh, I want to listen to it. Get more of the In Rainbows era Radiohead. Yeah, it's more of the In Rainbows vibe. Um, Bangers and Mash is really, really, really good. Um, up the up on the ladder is great. Um, yeah, just some ones that I've sporadically listened to today. It's all been really, really good, and I'm sort of sad that I'd never listened to it before. But I'm also, like you said, excited to get more In Rainbows Radiohead. Yeah. By the way, on uh, In Rainbows, now that I think about it, this was my first. I think this was really my first experience with Radiohead. And I remember um, my mom bought the CD and gave it to me and was like, I heard this is a really good band. You should check it out. That's awesome. And like for like a year, I know, I, I think I tried listening to it. And I was like, this is too weird. <laughs> and for a year, it just sat on my desk at home. And then a year later, I listened to it. and I was like, ooh. Nice. I like this weird fishes song. That's <laughs> really cool. That's a great gift from your mom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think karmically, I uh, I made up for paying zero dollars for it because when I got a record player, one of the first albums I bought was In Rainbows. There you go. But the record skips, so that's karma. <laughs> karma, um, man. Karma police. Yeah, the karma police aren't coming after me for that anymore. <laughs> Um, so after in rainbows, um, they had a bunch of singles and stuff, which, you know, they are, they've been doing between every album, but, uh, the King of Limbs in 2011. Yep. And you already said that you weren't a fan of this. Um, I mean, it's, it's decent. Like it's a lot of, uh, electronic music, um, or I guess more ambient, I would say electronic ambient. There's some decent songs, but it doesn't stand out to me like other ones, other albums do. I think that's the biggest thing I can say about it. I think that's very fair. I think, to me, I think, let's say this is phase three of Radiohead. What do you think? Because from Kid A to In Rainbows, they were electronic, but I'd say they were still accessible. Yeah. No one is going to come in... um, without ever having listened to Radiohead before, listen to King of Limbs and think, no. this is a great band. <laughs> no. It's a, it's an album that I think really like Radiohead fans are pretty much the only ones who, who like it. Although I don't even know how much they like it. I like parts of it. I like Lotus Flower. Um, and I, I like, yeah, that was a great song. And I like Morning Mr. Magpie. Do you remember the video for, I think it was Lotus Flower? Lotus Flower. Uh, it's actually, I love it. Just Tom York dancing and basically just wiggling around. I think Tom York had the man bun by this point, right? Oh, that's right. He did. He was an early adopter of the man bun. <laughs> Trendsetter in 2011. Yeah. Um, Damn, that was a long time ago. Yeah. 
Oh, it wasn't a man bun. It was a fedora. And I think t- 2011 wasn't uh, when memes started. But from what I recall, there were things where people would take the video of Tom York just like having a seizure <laughs> dance to Lotus yeah. Flower and just put it over other music. <laughs> this is... Uh, I love the internet. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad album, but... I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't rank it in the top uh, five of Radiohead <laughs> albums, for sure. Um, and what happened after King of Limbs? Well, I mean, album-wise, there was a pretty big gap. Five years. Yeah, 2011 to 2016. Until a moon-shaped pool came out. Yeah, and like we were talking about with in Rainbows for uh, moon-shaped pool, they also had a pretty interesting sort of promotional marketing campaign, they sent out um, these cards with the words uh, from Burn the Witch on them to anyone who had ever bought anything from their website. And this was before they had officially announced the album. They just started sending out these random things. I don't even think they said Radiohead. It just was a card that said Burn the Witch. And then they deleted everything from their website and deleted all their social media pages. And um, then later on, they announced the song Burn the Witch as a download. And they had this stop motion music video at the same time that was released. And oh, I didn't know this. Daydreaming, the video for that was uh, Scort was filmed by Paul Thomas Anderson. I guess Johnny Greenwood made a call. What did you think about the album uh, Moonshaped Pool in general? So I'll be honest, it's probably the album that I've listened to the least. Okay. Um, just because I think after King of Limbs, there was five whole years that went by and I had stopped listening to Radiohead as much. Totally fair. That being said, I do think it's a really good album. Like, I do dig the music on it. Um, it's it's not as memorable, but I, I think I liked it a little bit better than King of Limbs. I um I would agree that it's better than King of Limbs. I would disagree that it's not memorable. I think um as far as ranking of the album, I think it's below it's above Hail to the Thief, Amnesiac and King of Limbs, but I think below everything else. Okay, so about middle ground. Yeah. Definitely middle ground. Uh yeah. Burn the Witch, really interesting song, Daydreaming, really yeah. interesting song. As we mentioned in the first Radiohead episode, they have that uh, studio recording of True Love, of Waits. True Love Waits. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's an album that I need to give another shot. And I, I do. That being said, I did like it. It's just like it doesn't stick. Like when I think of Radiohead, I'm always like, oh yeah, they did an album in 2016. That's right. I forgot about that. I, I think, I think maybe. Even though it's 2019 now, I think enough time hasn't passed for it to be absorbed into the Radiohead works. What do you think? Totally. And to me, it's still like, I mean, if you asked me when it was recorded, I'd probably say like last year or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I just have a bad sense of time. That's fair. I I agree. Um, So, interestingly, the bonus disc of this... I didn't know there was a bonus disc, actually, but that song we were talking about at the beginning of the first episode, Ill Wind, mm-hmm. that's actually a track from the bonus disc of this. Mm-hmm. And can you guess what the other track on the bonus disc of this is? There's only two. Um, 
I'm going to guess that it was a cover of... Oh, no, I know what it is. Um, it was Radiohead's version of the James Bond movie, Octopussy. Exactly. It's just Tom York being like, Octopussy. <laughs> it's Radiohead's um, version of a theme song for the Bond film Spectre. Oh... And just as an aside, one of the songs on the OK Computer reissue we were talking about in the last episode um, was called Man of War, and that was Radiohead's uh, homage to James Bond themes. They submitted it as their opening theme to Spectre originally, but it was rejected by the Bond producers because it wasn't an original song, because they made it during the OK Computer sessions, and they rejected it because if they accepted it, the score for Spectre wouldn't be eligible for an Oscar, which I guess Johnny Greenwood just never learned his lesson from uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, and I know you were listening to this a little bit, but I'm not sure if you got through to the end. Spectre, I mean. It is very, no. It's very King of Limbs Radiohead. And I totally get why the Bond producers were like, thank you, Radiohead, for your contribution, but we're going to go a different direction. We're going to go with Sam Smith. I mean, Sam Smith didn't do a good job. Sam Smith was a bad choice also. They should have gotten someone else, but it was a yeah. better choice than Radiohead. Yeah. And I say that as someone who well, loves Radiohead, but I also love Bond. Been like, what the hell is this? Yeah. I don't know. Um... <laughs> I, I'm glad they released it, though. Yeah. I, I'm. So Radiohead released it, right? They're mm-hmm. like, this is what we... Tried out for and did not get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hilarious that they got rid of it. <laughs> no, it just shows the show. No matter how famous you get, there's always someone still there to tell you you're not good enough. It's true. And that's reassuring. And this, yeah. <laughs> um, we're. I think we're uh, essentially done with the, the meat of the episode. Um, there are, uh, there's of course our standard question uh, left to ask: Which combination of two Radiohead albums would produce the best Radiohead album? And I'm gonna allow, so, I'm gonna allow including solo stuff also. Okay. So I let the cat out of the bag a little early on this <laughs> one, and like I usually give a joke answer, but i'll be serious and go with okay computer and in rainbows because okay they have the same number of characters arranged in the same way and apparently you can line them up very well that's interesting so i'm gonna go kid a and the suspiria soundtrack oh how come because kid a is real experimental radiohead um really good really classic the suspiria soundtrack it's just like a weird ass soundtrack to a weird ass movie. Really dark vibes. Really, um, really Tom Yorkian music. And so together they make the perfect album. <laughs> together they make the perfect latter half Radiohead album. I would say. There you go. I, it's it's essentially to me the same as combining King of Limbs with Kid A, but yeah. I just wanted to do Suspiria because it would force me to listen to the full soundtrack. <laughs> Um, and I think that's our episode. Is there anything else you wanted to say, um, Tom? 
No, I just want to say that on Twitter, uh, wrong in being a fan at radiohead gatekeeping showing how you so much gatekeeping so much i okay i normally well not normally sometimes i post our episodes to the subreddit for a specific topic like i posted to the arctic monkey subreddit and people there seem to like it um i don't think i'm gonna post to the radiohead subreddit i think you should i'm too afraid I don't really have a pulse on what Radiohead fans are like now. I mean, most of them are like in their 30s at least. So I don't know. Maybe this is Maybe the one. mellowed out like Bob York. Maybe this is the one corner of fandom in the internet that is not toxic these days. It could be. I think it's worth finding out. That's fair. My final thoughts on uh, this would be um, to our listeners, um, if you don't know, Tom and I, I would say, have been friends for many, many years at this point. And to this day... He is still in my phone as Tom, spelled T-H-O-M. And that's an homage to Tom York. I I honestly totally forgot about that. <laughs> and I don't understand why he spells his name that way. I don't know, but I added the O with a slash through it also, so I can never find you by searching in my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. See yeah. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the app we use to start our podcast. It lets record audio from people in different areas pretty easily and submitted us for distribution on all the major podcast platforms. They'd like you to know that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing by reading this app. So give them a try. They're a great service. Go to anchor.fm slash start to start and he did the soundtrack for Suspiria which is uh, we were mentioning a little bit earlier okay what's going on I'm just getting some texts (laughs)